Good morning. <laughs> so if I have not had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Ron D. And um, I have been on staff here at Harvest Church for about 14 years. Recently, I kind of stepped back a little bit. Um, I'm still doing little things behind the scene here, but in case I haven't met you, again, my name is Ron. What I want to do this morning is um, mention the fact that uh, if you were here last Sunday, Curtis and Christy Schwizo did a little video where they were just encouraging, you know, biblical giving and things like that. And I don't normally do this, but a donation came in last Sunday, and I want to share it with you. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and put, this is the donation envelope. I'm going to put that up there for you to see. All right, so this is, this is serious, okay? This is a donation from last Sunday. It came in from Bob. I got to get my glasses, make sure I got it right. It's right there. His email address is billybob at somewhere.com. His phone number, if you want to call him, 777-777-7777. A very holy phone, apparently. He lives at 123 Bob Lane, and he gave a cash gift of $25 million. All right? And to verify it, he put in a little um, coupon that he made. I'm assuming it's a he. That Billy Bob made. And this is actually, I guess, representative of the $25 because the $25 million was not actually in the envelope. And what I do want to say, though, is in case Billy Bob is a minor, so he's under 18, that means it is the responsibility of his parents... <laughs> To, to, to meet this obligation. Uh, I want you to know we don't always share, you know, donation information, typically on a Sunday morning, but I thought this one was, you might want to know about this. Thank you, Lord, for Billy Bob. All right. Uh, this morning, we're going to be taking a diversion from the book of Daniel, Steve's going to be back in Daniel next Sunday. What I want to do this morning is I want to take a look at a psalm, and the psalm I want to look at is Psalm 91. And if you want to pull it up on your device, you can. It's going to be up on the screen, the verses I'm going to be talking about. And I like to use the new King James Version, so that's the version if, if you want to bring it up on your device that we're going to be using. And so it's my honor and, and privilege to share God's Word with us today, and so let's pray. Lord, we look to you because ultimately we know that you're the one that teaches us. We thank you that you've been, that you have given us the Holy Spirit, which is our teacher. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome you to work in our heart, work in our mind, work in our life, to not just come to understand what we're going to be talking about, but have a deep revelation of what it, what it truly means so that we can live it apply it, and walk in it, even today and in the future. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the title I have for this particular Psalm, Psalm 91, it is an open invitation from God to abide in him. So what we're going to see as this Psalm closes out is God is actually speaking directly to, to people, and it's an open invitation from God to abide in him. So what I want to do is I'm just going to go ahead and start by... Just go ahead and read 
to you Psalm 91 from beginning to end. There's 16 verses here. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night nor of the arrow that flies by day nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation." There's a lot there. I think it's very uh, relevant to the day in which we live, the time in which we live. You know, we live in very interesting times. Sometimes the Bible describes the times uh, just prior to the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. And in, uh, in 2 Timothy, Paul describes it as perilous times. And then in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel describes it as troublesome times. Sometimes it seems like there is a movement in play. I'll, I'll use the word conspiracy, but who knows. Sometimes it seems like there is a movement in play that is actively promoting a course of action in order to manipulate people to live in a constant state of fear. The problem is that fear leads to anxiety. Anxiety leads to worry. Worry leads, worry leads to stress. Stress leads to all kinds of problems in our life. In fact, I'm going to give you just a quick list that kind of came across my mind as far as things we're being told that we should perhaps be fearful of. Here we go. Climate change, hyperinflation, our economy on the brink of collapse, your money is becoming worthless, there's a constant threat of war, a constant threat of terror attacks on our homeland, soon to be coming food shortages, the risk of AI, artificial intelligence, and of course there's a new strain of COVID on the move an ever-increasing number of severe earthquakes and floods. There are earthquakes in places, hurricanes and floods. There are earthquakes in places that have never known earthquakes before. And then, of course, there are all the fires that are blazing out of control. The experts might even say that every one of these perils is actually a direct result of climate change. So I'm not saying that these perils, they're not legitimate. Uh, we should be concerned. The problem is that for the most part, we're powerless to change any of them, which can lead to a life of panic and confusion 
anxiety, fear, worry, and stress. In fact, I'm feeling a little stressed right now just talking about it. <laughs> In fact, over the last few weeks, what we have learned is that 2,862 people have died in the earthquake in Morocco. 11,300 people have died from the flood in Libya. Reuters reports that 354,000 Russian and Ukrainian people have died as a direct result of the war in Ukraine. 6,277 fires have been burning in Canada just this year. And 97 people died in the fire that torched Lahaina, Maui. Uh, that number was much higher initially, but that number's been, been coming down, thankfully. Now, I want to give you just a teeny tiny trivia, a bit of trivia about, about my life, my background. So I graduated from San Luis High in 1976. Class of 76, anybody? All right. That was pa Pathetic. <laughs> So uh, uh, a, a friend of mine, uh, we decided that we would like to take a, a gap year, a year off from, from school without going to college. And we decided, we, well, we got an apartment and we moved to Lahaina, Maui. And so, you know, just out of, out of high school, 18 years old, we're living in Lahaina, Maui. And he got a job at the Banyan Tree Inn as a dishwasher. And I got a job at the Lahaina Yacht Club as a dishwasher. And we spent the better part of a year in Lahaina. Now, Lahaina in those days, again, 1976, was a lot like Cayucas, where Katie uh, grew up. It was just this super quaint uh, fishing village and historic, had lots of historic roots. Uh, and so what we know happened, of course, from 1976 until now, it, it has grown, it's become really a big tourist destination. But this fire swept through the town of Lahaina, Maui, and literally just completely wiped out the entire town. Have you seen the pictures of it? And so I decided, uh, I called my buddy that we moved over there together with, his name is Keith, and I said, hey, Keith, I was thinking about you because of our time in Lahaina and, you know, the fires and the devastation. And he hasn't really been keeping up on things. He says, well, I, yeah, I heard there was a fire in Lahaina, but, you know, that's about it. I said, no, you, you don't understand. Everything, everything is gone. Every place we would go, every place we worked, everything is completely gone. And it's tragic. And I, I mainly bring that up to con put in context the fact that, you know, life is full of unforeseen trials and tragedies and, and perilous times. But how we respond to these things, God wants to give us um, help in our time of need so that we live in the right place without fear. Um, and again, just to be sure, there are a few legitimate reasons to be fearful. I'll give you a few. Number one is the fear of spiders. If you have the fear of spiders, <laughs> go ahead and raise your hand. Don't be shy. I'm not going to judge you. So the fear of spiders is known as arachnophobia. A lot of people have it. And apparently a lot of people are not willing to admit it. <laughs> uh, I have this one. It's the fear of tight spaces, so claustrophobia. Just, just, yeah, can't handle that one. Uh, the fear of flying, super common. Aerophobia. That's, oh, how about this one? The fear of snakes. Come on, be honest. That's called um, ophidiophobia, the fear of snakes. And of course, um, I have this one too. It's the fear of roller coasters. 
I can handle, you know, the, the low-key ones, but the ones where you're just flipping everything, it's called velox rotophobia. I, pre- I prefer to re- refer it as um, six flags of phobia. <laughs> six flags of phobia, that's my thing. Okay, but how about this? There's also one, it's the fear of fear. That's a terrible one. It's, it's, it's uh, what is it? Phobophobia. <laughs> Okay, but what is the number one rarest phobia of them all? It's called Araki Butiro phobia, and it is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. <laughs> Anybody? <laughs> Psalm 91. <laughs> Verses one and two, God has a secret that he would like to share with you this morning. The secret is this, God has reserved a place of refuge for you, a place of refuge from the fears, the anxiety, the worry, the stress, the panics, the perils of life that are very real. The secret is found in him because the secret is him. Verses one and two, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. So is this even possible? I mean, it sounds like this kind of mystical thing that's just out there for, you know, special super duper saints, but it's not. It's, it's for everybody. Yes, it's for you. Yes, it's for me. But the answer about seeking that secret place that really rests with you individually. Uh, It's called the secret place of the most high, just as I read. But it's only a secret to those who who are not actually interested in, in looking. To those who aren't searching. So in fact, the secret place is not actually a place at all. It is God himself. The prophet Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, and the the Lord is speaking through Jeremiah to us. He says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and you will go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. So again, the secret really isn't, is this a place that we can actually discover, it's are we willing to call upon the Lord and seek after him, and in doing so, we're going to find ourselves in that place with him. Notice with me again, verses 2, 1 and 2, the verse I just read a moment ago. There's actually four titles that are given for the names of God, the name of God in in those two verses, and the names that are given there are the Most High, the Almighty, the Lord, and my God. And each of those names of God are actually different Hebrew words to refer to him. So the most high, that is the word Elyon. And it means the one who is supreme above all. The almighty, El Shaddai. The most powerful of all. The Lord, that would be Yahweh or Jehovah, same word. He is the self-existing one, the great I am, the eternal one, the God who is. And finally, my God, it's, it's his name, Elohim. And it means the supreme God, the one and only true and living God. So that's, that's what we're talking about. Abiding, 
dwelling with him in this secret place. The one that we're searching for and seeking after is the supreme above all, most powerful, the great I am, the one and only true and living God. And because, because he is all that, we can thoroughly trust that he is able to help us through any trial or trouble that we may face in our life today. Now, may I just say, um, Psalm 91 doesn't tell us that he's gonna keep us free from trouble, but what he does tell us is he's gonna be with us in the midst of the trouble and trials that we find in our life. I remember some years ago, one of our daughters uh, came to me and said, Dad, you know, I'm, I'm going through this thing and, and I'm praying and it just doesn't seem like God is, is helping me. And I said, well, just know this. God doesn't say that he's gonna keep you from trouble in life, but he does promise he will be with you in the troubles of life. King David in Psalm 116, verse eight says this, for you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. You know, some Bible scholars would say that Psalm 91 was written by Moses, and the reason they say that is because if you go back just one Psalm, Psalm 90, Moses definitely wrote that. And so they imply that Psalm 91 was also written by Moses. But other Bible scholars believe that it was written by King David. So what, what difference does it make? Well, as we look back for a moment at Psalm 90, so I'm jumping back just one Psalm. Uh, this one again was definitely written by Moses and I wanna read it to you. This is Psalm 90, verses one and two. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting you are God. So notice that we're told that God has been our dwelling place, what Moses says here, in all generations. So past, present, future. So then as we think about this secret dwelling place that we're talking about, it applies again to every generation. So it applies, it applies to you. It applies to me in our generation. The secret place with God is for today. So you can have this. You can have him, you can find him, you can dwell with him, abide with him, and come underneath that shadow of the Almighty. The Apostle John approaches this in this way in 1 John chapter 4, verse 15. He says this, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he abides in God. So if you can receive this, those who are abiding in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, are literally, literally dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. So I want to put it in a New Covenant, New Testament context. So the Old Covenant was a different system, whereas in the New Covenant, after Christ came and died on the cross at Calvary, we now enter into that New Covenant whereby as we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and look to the cross for forgiveness and cleansing, then the Holy Spirit literally fills our spirit, our body, our soul, our mind, and we now abide in that secret place of the Most High. Again, John continues in 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. He says, by this we know that we abide in him. 
that we abide in God, and he abides in us because he's given us of his spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we may also be glorified together with him. So Paul there and also John are talking about this abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. So much so that it says the Spirit himself, God's Spirit, the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are sons and daughters of God. So my question to you today is, do you have that witness in your, in your heart, in your, in your spirit, in your mind? I remember for me, uh, I didn't know this until actually just a few years ago, the first time I ever heard the gospel, I was actually in a preschool in San Luis, and it was a church-organized uh, preschool. There were no other preschools in San Luis at the time. And the teachers of that school made sure that every student heard the gospel while they were there at, at the preschool. So I have no memory of that. But fast forward, I was 17 years old and I was invited to go to Atascadero to listen to an evangelist. I didn't even know what an evangelist was. Uh, but I said, yes, you know, peer pressure. Yeah, I'll go, sure. And um, I didn't grow up in a Christian family, didn't know anything about anything as far as God or the Bible or any of that. And so I, I listened to this evangelist and he's sharing the gospel in a very clear and in concise way, and he gave the, the altar call. That's what they used to call it in the day, right? The altar call. And I went forward, and I prayed the prayer. You know that prayer, right? I prayed the prayer, but then I just went back and walked in my old life, my old way, and that's when I moved to Hawaii and, you know, did all the things I did in Hawaii, which were really good, by the way. <laughs> nothing bad. Nothing bad in Hawaii. <laughs> but uh, what I realized at, after that time, after I was 17 and, and I prayed the prayer, something was different in me, and I, I did not understand it, but I, I had this conviction that I, that I never had before. And fast forward, now it's, uh, it's 1981, and, and DJ and I are married by then. This is DJ and my wife right over here. We're married, and uh, we have a, a, a friend. Her name is Heather, and she says to DJ, would you like to go to church with me? And so DJ went with, with Heather to church, and so DJ came home, and she's like, this is, this is really good. Would you like to go to church with me? And I said, no. I don't want to go, I don't want to, go to church. You see, because intuitively I knew it meant I had to make some changes in my life. I don't want to make any changes in my life. So a few months go by, and she asked me again, would you like to go to church with me? And I said, okay, all right, I'll go once. <laughs> and going to church with her, and just the music, the worship, the message, just the whole thing, it felt as though God was just reaching out, grabbing my heart and pulling me in and just saying, okay, you're mine now. It's time. And so from that time on began this great adventure for both of us where we discovered the Lord and, and are continuing to discover what it means to walk with him. But it's like this, this revelation of God, or of, of abiding with him, it, it truly is... Um, the most profound thing we can ever experience in life. And if you've not experienced it, my encouragement to you today is make that commitment of your life to Jesus Christ. Pray the prayer. 
and, and, and he will do as he says he will do. He will bring you into his kingdom and he will fill you and, uh, with a life that is so abundant you can't imagine life without him. Where was I? <laughs> that was all verses one and two, by the way. <laughs> verses three and four, Psalm 91. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. So the one in whom that you are dwelling in, the one that you are taking refuge in, it says, surely he shall deliver you. And again, the idea is he's going to be with you in, in trials and he's going to be that protection. Now, it's spoken here as though we're looking at sort of God as though he's got you know, these feathers, these wings, but it's, it's, it's meant to picture a place of refuge, a hiding place, a place of safety, a place of security from the snare of the fowler. So there's traps out there. We have an adversary, the devil, who is uh, the father of lies, and one of his tactics is to lay traps for people. So in that place of refuge, we're going to be protected from the snare of the fowler. That is the trap or the plot to capture us. And the perilous pe pestilence, that would be some unforeseen calamity, could be a plague, could be a sickness, could be deadly diseases, which we're told are just constantly all around us every day. Why? Because he shall cover you with his feathers. King David wrote this in Psalm 36. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. His truth shall be your shield. Uh, Steve talked, I think it was last week, maybe a couple weeks ago, about the armor of God that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. And there in Ephesians 6, verse 14, Paul says, having girded your waist with truth. So his truth shall be your shield. So part of the protection, part of the way we come under this secret place of the Most High, this dwelling place with God, is by opening up the scriptures every day because this is where the truth is found. Amen. Now, this is a book like no other. It, of course, it's, it's ink on paper like any other book, but it, it's God's word that God will speak to you through the voice of the Holy Spirit and it will become real in your life. Now, the thing about God's word I have found is there's, there's certainly a discipline involved where we every day we need, we need to get up. We need to uh, set our priorities to the point where, Lord, I wanna go to you first because I need my mind renewed. I'm being fed all these lies. Everything just wants me to live in fear. I don't want to live that way. And so, Lord, I'm going to look to you to speak to me, to help me, to feed me, to show me who you are and the truth of who I am in Christ. And I promise you, he will do that for you. Become a student of the Bible, a student of the word of God, and he would love to reveal himself to you. His truth shall cover you with his feathers. His truth shall be your shield. God wants you to know there is this secret place, and it's a place of communion. Communion means it's a place where we can come to the Lord and find that place where Paul described it as crying out, Abba, Father. Yes, he is God, but more importantly, he is our Father. 
He loves you. He desires to be with you. He desires that you would be with him. A place of complete peace, rest, and safety from the seen and the unseen dangers that are looking about. Psalm 91, 5, 6, and 7. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. So God knows that fear is something we all deal with. We often just can't, can't get around it. It's just a part of who we are and the life that we live, which is why God is telling us over and over, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to live in fear. You don't need to allow all the, the complexity of life, the things of life to overshadow you and, and dictate your decisions and what you're gonna do. You don't need to be afraid of the terrors by night. So that would be kind of these, there's something that we dread. Something about the night, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't see. What am I gonna do? In fact, when our kids were real little, uh, sometimes they would wake up in the middle of the night just screaming and we would call that night terrors. You, you parents, you kind of remember those things? Sometimes as adults, we do that. We wake up in the light, oh my God, I'm, I'm terrified. What am I terrified? I have no idea. And the arrow that flies by day. So that's like something that you're a target. There's a weapon that's formed against you. Something that's gonna target you and take you out. And also, um, you know, pestilence that walks in darkness. Again, we're talking about plagues and disease, you know, things that kind of lurk in the dark of night and destructions that they waste at noonday. So something that is determined to destroy us, destroy you, even in broad daylight. And it almost gives you that impression there's, there's no way to hide, nowhere to hide, no place to go. And the Lord would say, good, come to me. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden and heavy down with burdens, and learn from me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, and you're gonna find rest for your souls. So we don't need to live in fear of anything or anyone. You got that? You don't need to live in fear of anything or anyone. Verse eight, only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. So this is kind of a, a sober verse. Uh, who are the wicked? The wicked are those who specifically in this reference are those who, who are vehemently hostile and opposed to God. And there are some people out there like that. They are vehemently hostile and they are opposed to God. So unfortunately, judgment is coming upon those who have chosen to reject him. That's just the truth of the Bible. If we reject the free gift of God, which is eternal life, what we're basically saying is we reject the life that God has available to us. We reject it and in doing so, we come under the judgment of God. Just remember this about the character and nature of God. Peter talks about it in 2 Peter chapter three. He says, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. You see, really in the heart of God, he doesn't wanna judge anyone, which is why he sent his son to die on the cross on our behalf. But there are some who reject the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so with that, John the apostle, Jesus speaking here, John 12, he says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I've spoken will judge him in the last day. John 3, 36, he who believes in the son has everlasting life 
And he who does not believe the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. It's, it's a very serious and sober biblical doctrine that literally without Christ, we're under a curse and judgment is on its way. But we've been offered a way of escape. We've been offered through the Son of God, through the cross of Calvary, a way of escape so that that judgment is deferred. It no longer applies to us. Psalm 91 verses 9 through 12. Because you've made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. What I want to do now is I want to I'll read to you a quote. This is a few paragraphs from Charles Spurgeon. So Charles Spurgeon was a pastor in England, and he served in, in England uh, in the ministry mid to late 1800s. And he wrote a commentary on the book of Psalms. It's called The Treasury of David. So I just want to read this paragraph. It's a little bit, little bit lengthy, a little bit wordy, but it's really good. Famine may starve or bloody war devour. Earthquake may overturn and tempest may smite. But amid all, the man who has sought the mercy seat and is sheltered underneath the wings which overshadow it shall abide in perfect peace. Days of horror and nights of terror are for other men. His days and nights are alike spent with God and therefore pass away in secret, in sacred quiet. His peace is not a thing of times and seasons. It does not rise and set with the sun, nor does it, does it depend upon the healthiness of the atmosphere or the security of the country. Upon the child of the Lord's own heart, pestilence has no destroying power and calamity no wasting influence. Pestilence walks in darkness, but he dwells in light. Destruction wastes at noonday, but upon him another sun has risen whose beams bring restoration. Remember that the voice which saith, thou shalt not fear, is that of God himself, who hereby pledges his word for the safety of those who abide under his shadow. Nay, not for their safety only, but for their serenity. So far shall they be from being injured that they shall not even be made to fear the ills which are around them, since the Lord protects them. How, how is this even possible? I mean, we live in the real world. We, we kind of know what's going on around us. And yet the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the church at Philippi, this is what he said in Philippians 3, 20. He said, actually, our citizenship is in heaven. From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. See, what, what happens is, is, you know, we live here in, 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 in our life on earth. This is, this is our reality. This is all that we know. And yet what the Bible teaches is we're like pilgrims. We're just passing through. And our time on, on earth is actually very short. And so what Pauling is, is telling us here is actually our citizenship is in heaven. 
And so our security rests upon, you know, the king of heaven. Romans chapter eight, Paul kind of continues this thought. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Yet in all these things we are, you can say it with me, more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's do that one again. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're secure. You are secure in him. There's no need to fear. Verse 13. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. So this is kind of a spiritual maybe analogy referring to our adversary, the devil. But it's like, it's like this lion that's ready to attack, one who's stalking its, its prey and ready to pounce. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 5, 8. He said, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And then the reference to cobras and serpents and snakes, the things that most of us fear, right? One of our phobias. It's a, it's a venomous snake, or sometimes it's referred to as a dragon. Well, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. We're not deceived. You're not deceived. We're not gonna live in fear. Revelation 20, verse 10. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. All right, I wanna close out with verses 14 through 16. So notice here in these verses, this is actually God speaking, speaking to you, speaking to us. Because he has set his love upon me, Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high. Because he has known my name, he shall call upon me and I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and I will show him my salvation. Because he has set his love upon me. Because he's known my name. You know, one of the first commandments that was given to Moses, the Ten Commandments, Deuteronomy 6.15, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. So we're just responding and doing the exact same thing that, that God desires us to do, is to love him. Now we may say, well, I, I, don't even, I don't know how to love. I don't know how to love God. I don't know how to love another person even maybe. But God will teach us and that's where the Holy Spirit comes in and he teaches us how to love God and, and embrace and accept the love that he has for us. And the challenge there, therefore I will deliver him, I will set him on high because he has known my name, he shall call upon me and I will answer him. There's a great verse in Jeremiah chapter 33, it says this, call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things that you don't know. What an what a awesome privilege that we have. This open invitation to come to God. We've not been promised an easy life. We understand that. 
but we have been promised an abundant life, a life that is free from the fear and the torment that it brings to so many. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says this. I'm going to close out with the last few verses. These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart to be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So we see this common theme through Psalm 91 and all, all the verses in the New Testament to live in a place of protection under God's mighty hand, a, a secret dwelling place. So this is an open invitation from God to abide in him. I want to go ahead and invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to close out with a song. And as we do that, I want us to think about this for just a moment. Isaiah chapter 55, verse six, it says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now, like me, when I was 17 and I first heard the gospel for the first time and the invitation was given, it's like, I, I don't know what to do. And what, what I came to understand or I've come to understand is you need to do three things. Number one, you need to acknowledge that you have sinned against God. So God is real. He is the Lord of the heavens and the earth, and we have sinned against God. Secondly, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross as a payment for your sin and my sin. Now, the last thing that Jesus said on the cross before he died were these words. It is finished. He said, it is finished. What he meant was, the sins of the world have been completely paid for. And then finally, the last thing we need to do is confess that we need the Lord in our life. And that you desire for him to be, you desire for him to take up residency in your, in your heart, in your soul, in your mind. And the Holy Spirit does that. And so what I want to encourage you today, maybe you've never done that before. And you don't have to, you may have tons of questions. You may have many doubts, but that's okay. You just come to the Lord as you are and just accept what he's done for you. Acknowledge that you have sinned against him, that Jesus, the son has died in your place and then just invite him in. And so as we close in prayer, actually close in song, go ahead and let's stand, shall we? I want to pray. Lord, we just look to you today. Lord, we have learned about this secret dwelling place with you. But Lord, to many of us, it's, it's just this thing that's hard to, hard to get a hold of. And Lord, may the reality of that place in your presence, that place of being with you, become so real to us that we not only understand it, but we're living it. We're experiencing that day by day, moment by moment. And Lord, with that, we pray that if, if any of us are, are living in fear or just under the oppression of just the things that life is bringing our way, Lord, I pray that you would just set us free. Lord, deliver us from those things. Give us your perspective. And finally, Lord, if there's any who has not yet believed on you, Lord, I pray that you would lead them and draw them and just help them to make that decision to invite you into their life as Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you have done for us. We bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.